welcome the creators of Relevant Magazine. This is the Relevant Podcast. It's the week of Friday, August 25th, 2017, and it's The Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and this week's show is brought to you by Samaritan Ministries. Samaritan Ministries is a ministry that gives Christians an opportunity to live in community with one another, blessing each other during a time of medical need. It's not health insurance, but thousands of Christians are joining the movement that allows them to care for each other uh, for their health care. They share needs from broken bones to cancer, pregnancies to organ transplants. Every month, more than 69,000 households Give generously to other members with a qualified medical need through Samaritan Ministries International, one of the leading healthcare sharing ministries in America. Members send checks, prayers, and notes of encouragement directly to other members in need. Currently, Samaritan members give a monthly share of $495 for a family of any size, while individuals give $220 and couples $440. You can find out more at SamaritanMinistries.org. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. Uh, well, like I said, I'm your host, Cameron. Here with me in Orlando studios, Eddie is off this week. It's just our illustrious producer, my brother, Chandler Strang. Hello. On the Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello, and just Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> Disappointingly, Chandler. Uh, joining us from Nashville, Tennessee, Tyler Huckabee. Sorry that I'm not Eddie, guys. And, and joining the cast for one week and one week only, all the way from Chicago, Illinois, author, speaker, and television superstar, Shauna Nequist. Good morning. Hi, Shauna. This is a, Hi. This is a big week for Shauna Nequist. Not only is she on the relevant podcast, she also did a little, little, little time with, you might have heard of her, Oprah this week. This is crazy. On Sunday this past week, you were the guest on Oprah's show. Yes, and I was a nervous wreck watching it. I had a real rough Sunday. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, did you... Okay, so I... I, I've never done anything of that profile, but I have never read or watched anything that I've ever done. I just can't handle it. Did you watch it by yourself or did you have a viewing party? No, well, and this is what's crazy. I, I've never done anything like this. Um, you don't get to see it until everyone else is watching it on the television. Like they yeah. don't send you like an advance anything. Oh my uh, they're like, so I hope you have the own network on your cable package at home and you can catch it there. <laughs> you know? Oh my goodness. Um, and but I love this. My best friends didn't even ask me. They just told me they were like, listen, we know you. We know what you're going to do is try to watch it totally by yourself, like on your laptop in your bedroom um, and feel weird about it. And so we're just going to tell you right now, we are having a watch party that you are coming to. We're going to do this together like we do everything else. And so it was great. So my uh, best friends and their husbands and their kids and my mom and my husband and my kids, we were all uh, at my friend Casey's house and we all made breakfast together and watched the show together. And it, I mean, there's nothing worse than watching yourself on video in any way. You're yeah. like, is that what my face looks like? Ah, um, <laughs> but it was better to do it with people that I love than uh, alone with my laptop. Okay. So I don't have own in my package. So I had to watch clips 
like so I didn't see the entire thing I saw highlights and stuff I'm gonna play one now which will be incredibly awkward for you to listen to yourself but this is <laughs> this is a clip of uh, Shauna on Super Soul Sunday with Oprah this past week so what you realized is that you were in this constant push for perfection and as you started to peel back the layers what did you find underneath that struggle I think I thought that work and hustling and being known as responsible would prove my worth. I think I was looking for a deep sense of value. Do I matter? Am I enough? Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I working hard enough? And I was using work and busyness to kind of earn those things. And when you realized that that's what you were doing, what was your next step? At that point, then it became a spiritual question, right? Mm -hmm. Because as a Christian, Theologically, I believe in unconditional love. I believe in my value and the value of every human being. Mm -hmm. I believe that we're deeply loved and created on purpose, every single one of us, that we don't have to earn or push or prove. And I knew that in my brain. I had known that all my life in my brain, but it did not bear out in the way that I lived. And so that was the next thing I had to shore up. It was awesome. Oh man, I got chills. <laughs> I, I can't believe how articulate you are. I, I mean, were you like Me a either. bumbling ball of nerves? I mean, that's crazy. I was actually really nervous. So, you know, it aired on Sunday um, and I was nervous just to watch it. Like there's nothing you can do at that point, but even just watching it is sort of nerve wracking. But we taped it in April and um, I was pretty nervous going into the interview. But I will say she I mean, she's the best there is times 1 million, and she creates an environment where you are so comfortable, you feel so connected and seen. I mean, she really is absolutely unbelievable, and she makes it as easy as possible to get good content, I think. Well, I noticed the guy giving you a neck massage uh, during the taping. You seem very <laughs> right, right. The pedicure was nice, all yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. And it sounds like you're in the Garden of Eden, like there's birds <laughs> chirping and... <laughs> I mean, that's got to help. It's literally, and what's so crazy about it, you know, it's this beautiful shot, you know, it's, you're, you're outside, like there's beautiful trees and there's like a stone bridge behind you, but it's like a, it's like a movie set. I mean, there are moving cameras, there are uh, lights in the trees. It's a, it's a full on sound and video studio that just happens to be outdoors. Wow. Um, so it's it's not like someone took their camera and we said, let's shoot outside today. It's like there is a full on set that is outside. It's absolutely beautiful. I That's feel crazy. like if I was talking to Oprah and she's never asked me to, but I would not do what you did, which is be a very articulate <laughs> font of really like theologically correct wisdom. But I just start telling her secrets about myself, like things that I've never told. It, like the Liz Lemon thing where I'd immediately just open up about when I was six, I did this. I never told my mom when I was 21, I did this. And I'm grateful that that didn't happen to you, although I'm sure the temptation was real. Yeah, to just our confessing potential crimes. Yeah, <laughs> right. I have a couple friends who've done this similar thing, and I asked them a million questions, and they said, you know, part of the magic of of her interviewing style is you really do feel like you could say anything. And so, one, I remember laying in bed the night before, thinking, like, let's just review what are the two or three things I absolutely do not want to talk about. <laughs> let's just let's just locate those and name them. So that if we start heading down that path, I like roll out of my chair or something. <laughs> so I had a couple things in my mind that like, if we get near those, ding, 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 roll out. What, what exactly would have those have been? 
Well, I'm not telling oh, you. It's it's a, oh, it's not. <laughs> well, it's trying to nice create an environment of trust and comfort here, you know? Oh. Yeah. Did you feel like they edited it fairly? Like, how, how long were you guys talking in real life compared to how much they played on TV? Um, I bet we talked... Aaron and I think, so Aaron came with me, which was really cool. Um, I think we talked about 70 minutes and the interview was about 44. Um, But it felt very much like uh, if you watch the episode, that conversation happened chronologically. So like the first questions she asks on the show were the first ones she asked in real life and the same with the ending. So, Mm. you know, sometimes and it's not wrong when they do this, but sometimes you'll get like a a video or a show something back and it's like completely cut up into a million pieces and your last statement becomes the first one. This was not that this felt like a very continuous conversation. I like that. That's that's my favorite kind of interview to listen to. That like there's a natural arc to it and stuff. But that's great. That I mean, you feel like they it was it was fair. Your heart was heard. Your message was heard. Not, not I doctored. I couldn't be happier with it. I feel like they represented it very fairly. It felt very accurate to the conversation we had. Their team is amazing. Like I can't say enough good things. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I, I have a question because I know you've interacted with Oprah in the past. Like you went to her house one time, right? Well, yeah, let's do I went as my mother's plus one to a very big party at Oprah's house to celebrate the viewing or to view and celebrate the belief series that she did on the own network. So like I interacted her with her in the sense that I was in the line with the to take your picture with her, like the several hundred other guests. So I don't want to overstate <laughs> like we hang out sometimes we do not hang out sometimes. <laughs> well, I, I have two questions uh, as, as, as sort of, uh, uh, you know, because I'm kind of interested to ha- the dynamic work. First off, did you confess about stealing those hand towels with her monogram from her home as a souvenir <laughs> but also did did like before the show were you guys like chit-chatting or was it like okay what she didn't make an appearance till like the camera started rolling and that was like the first time you guys were like talking yeah that is more like the second so their team does a really really good job very thorough um they call you they tape your conversation they kind of build an interview script around that they run you through it beforehand i mean they're very Involved. This isn't like, just show up, we'll talk. Like they really put a lot of time and effort into building a, a kind of a good map for the conversation that then they give to her. Um, but then when you talk with her, the cameras are rolling. And so it's not like she and I spent an hour ahead of time, like, okay, take a deep breath, look into this camera, look at you just start talking on topic and, and you just go, 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 go. And wow. um it's and it's a little bit unusual because I'm used to, you know, a lot of times like you get on the set, you sit down and they try tell you a bunch of things. This was like, like as we're walking to the chairs, the cameras are already rolling. When you see us hug at the beginning of the episode, that's the first time we're connecting. Wow. That's got to be because of her her longtime daytime show where they would have two, three interviews and she can't, you know, she can't spend time with everybody. So it's about the team prepping the person and she's just a pro at looking at the notes and going, you know? Well, and I, I mean, I, she obviously had a fair amount of time with the notes. You would have thought that she had taken a college class or possibly instructed a college class on the content of present over perfect. Wow. I don't know how she, like she seemed so into it and so conversant about it. Wow. So she's amazing. It did not at all feel like, I don't know, somebody handed me these notes three seconds ago. What's your name again? I mean, it felt like, wow. I could not have asked. Huh. She was so engaged, so interested. I mean, it was, she is 
as spectacular as you want to believe she is. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Well, we uh, we have a great show coming up uh, here today. We're very prepared and <laughs> may, make our guests feel very wonderful. We don't feel intimidated at all now. Uh, yeah, and I'm not sitting out in uh, like a, a lush garden with birds chirping, but I am outside. I'm actually in a, a parking lot of a Home Depot that's uh, shooting out some free Wi-Fi. Um, so, I mean, it's pretty tranquil. I mean, it's right near the lumberyard. So I'm not in a great part of town, but uh, Wi-Fi's cooking at this, this Home Depot. I actually think they got something shady going on. I don't know why they need like a T1 line going in there. Probably got a weird exporting thing. But all I'll say, I'm outside. I'm soaking in some rays. It's very hot. I'm sweating profusely, but I'm trying to soak in that earthy earthiness. I get it. I get it. Oh, coming up later on the show, uh, Charlie Cox joins us. He plays Daredevil in the new Netflix series, The Defenders, which debuted this week. And also uh, joining us is Sandra McCracken. Her new album, Steadfast Live, releases today. Brand new music. She's going to take us through the new album. Uh, she's a oh, good I friend. love her. She's awesome. She's a good friend. Yeah, she's great. We go back all the way to uh, Bob Goff days. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, there you go. So, Shauna, it's been a, a a while since you've been on the show. Last time we talked to you, you had a raccoon infestation. Is, is how How is the house situation and have any other vermin moved in? <laughs> yeah, we've really, we've stabilized, I, I feel. I, I was I was trying to think of if we had any other like kind of woodland creature adventures recently. We, we have not. We've been, it's pretty stable, pretty, pretty rodent free around our house. The big news around our house is that yesterday, my, our five-year-old went to kindergarten. Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do so that's feel, a big thing. So yeah. so all the kids, both kids are in school now. Do you feel totally. like, are you sad about this? Um, I mean, I had like a little bit of, uh, I cried at meet the teacher. I'll say that I, I, when they gave us, um, I don't know if you're, they do this, everybody does this, but they give us jitter glitter to put under our pillows in case we moms and dads and teachers and kids. If you're going to kindergarten, you get a little jitter glitter under your pillow in case you can't sleep the night before. I think that's a Midwest thing. I saw your, I saw your post about that and I had no clue what you were talking about. So this is literally a bag of glitter that you're Uh supposed to put under your pillow if you're nervous. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And it's it's big glitter. It's more like, I would say, like more like sequins. Okay, sequins. Like, like, it's not like, hey, okay. everybody, put a handful of glitter in your bed and now, you know, that, that'll never come out and it'll be terrible. It's, it's big glitter. Um, Jesse does this before meetings. Um, he, yeah, he, I mean, I what I do is I, I just throw glitter all over myself. Um, and, you know, it's caused some vision problems, actually, because it's kind of hard to get out of the tear duct. I have a, you know, I'm interested. I'm, I'm excited for my kids to start going to kindergarten because I'm like interested in what's changed since I went because I don't have like great memories of kindergarten, but there are two like distinct things that stick out to me about the kindergarten experience. One is how stoked I was to have a lunchbox with a matching thermos. Like there was at the time, there's nothing cool. Like it, I don't, I think that should be like a thing for adults now to have a, 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 a lunchbox with a matching thermos. The other thing is too, I, I'm interested to see how like discipline has evolved since I was in kindergarten because I wasn't a bad kid, but you know, I mean, I'm a social, I'm a social person. I got a lot of commentary to make even during the kindergarten years. And I remember they had this thing. They had this board right on the wall and, and it had everyone's name on it. Like every, there was all these hooks for everyone in the classroom and, and there was a smiley face on the hook and each of the smiley faces had a name on it. But if you did something bad, they flipped the smiley face over and it was a frowny face oh and it was your name on it. Public and shaming. So, that's what I, wow. I didn't think of it at the time, but I was wondering why I was so distressed back when my happy face got turned over 
almost immediately upon entering the classroom (laughs) (laughs) and thinking, I think this is going to set me up on a path for life. I mean, I've been here a day and I'm super stoked about this scholastic catalog. And that's what, that's what got me in trouble because it was talking about that and, and, you know, placing a very large order. Um, but you know, getting my happy face turned over. And I was thinking, I hope they've evolved since these days of public shaming because a lot of the, the, you know, I, I haven't gone to see somebody, but I'm assuming a lot of the issues, you know, that I potentially have are because of this early public shaming at kindergarten. I just hope it's evolved since then, you know? I think you'd find it to be a really different environment. I think it's like, like instead of there being like a happy face and a sad face, there'd be like a... Like a question marky face. Like, aren't you inquisitive? Aren't you a leader of tomorrow? Like, it's very, it's very aspirational. It's very affirming. So one of the things that I, I try to do as a parent is I try not to like edit or like, like make my kids look better than they are. And so sometimes when they do something that feels to me sort of strange, I'm like, that's cool. That's who they are. They're going to do that. So the one thing Mac had to do going to kindergarten was color this picture. And it was, what's the one thing you're excited to learn about in kindergarten? And Mac writes, fire. Mm. And I'm like, mm. oh, great, great. I like him. So, like, tiny, yeah, tiny, like tiny pyromaniac. Like Come, I, I, he's inquisitive. Coming in for kindergarten. I grew up in a way, I wanted to, will that burn? And I would I would then experiment and find out the answer to my questions. And I, our house growing up had a lot of black marks on the ceilings. And <laughs> and I, I answered my questions. I like him. Yeah. I like him. I, I was going to say, he's also going to be sorely disappointed. Yeah, yeah. When the, when kindergarten is kind of a it's a non non fire starting situation. So he walks in and he tells his teacher, "What do you want to learn about fire?" And she's so she's like, "Oh, oh, like um, fire, fire safety. Yeah. Fire safety is that what you want to learn about?" And he's like, "No. How do you start them?" <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, yeah, sure. Fire safety. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> the safety aspect. So we, we're off to a great start. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, uh, it's time for our weekly look back at what happened." And culture and entertainment. It's time for. In case you missed it. Well, I mean, the big news in case you missed it is that Shauna was on Oprah this week. That's kind of yeah. all you need to know. But we've already played that clip. So here's here's what else happened. Uh, there, in case you missed it, there's a petition to switch a Confederate monument uh, to one of Missy Elliott in her hometown. Yes, that's awesome. Could not could not be happier. Yeah, right. I know yeah, where I'm this monument that. is too. Like <laughs> I live pretty close to it. Residents in Missy Elliott's hometown of Portsmouth, Virginia, just uh, don't just want a Confederate monument to be taken down. They want it to be replaced with one of the hip hop icon. The change.org petition addressed to the city's mayor, vice mayor, and members of the city council reads in part, before she was Missy Misdemeanor, she was Melissa Arnett Elliott, born on July 1st, 1971 in Portsmouth, Virginia, hailing from humble beginnings as one of the as the only child of a power company dispatcher and a welder at Portsmouth's lauded naval shipyard, she rose to become a platinum recording artist with over 30 million albums sold, all this without even once owning a slave. Together, we can put white supremacy down, flip it, and reverse it. So far, the petition has been signed. <laughs> wow. Love it. By, Love it. So far, it's been signed by 25,000 people, and it's still going. So go check that out at change.org. That's pretty awesome. I Dude, that, how cool would that mind? Monument be. I mean, because like oh, you man. see any, not just like Confederate monuments, but like any historical monuments, I feel like people walk by and they don't really pay all that much attention to like what it, what it is or what it represents. 
But you see one of Missy Elliott, and that's just dope, right in the middle of town. A, a sweet, <laughs> mi- and I. The, the question is like, what era of Missy that's Elliott? I, I feel like you go the one where she's in that cool shiny balloon suit. Yeah, thing. the trash bag suit. Oh, thing. Absolutely. Well, that's the only. Yeah. That's the only era. Yeah. That's it. Hey, I, the, my question is like, it's almost like Catholicism has a certain kind of procedural for like sainthood. You know, it's like yeah. they've been dead by X amount. They had their life. Three had, miracles, da, da, da. yeah. And, uh, how come, do we have something like that for monuments? I mean, because like literally the little town of Portsmouth, Virginia, that change.org thing makes a good case that she should be honored and remembered as a significant, you know, product of that town, honestly. Yeah. Right. So like when, why don't we do more modern monuments like that? You know what I mean? Well, here's the here's the real question is, when did we stop making monuments? Because I feel like if you were born after 1880 or something, you're, the odds of you getting a monument in this country dropped to almost zero because all of our monuments right. are... Well, I'll say this. Unless unless you are an athlete that's won multiple championships for a team. I that's guess. the only people okay. who are getting monuments right now. It's like, they just, it's like Shaq just got his outside the Staples Center and right. Jordan has one in Chicago. Right. Like outside of athletes... You, I, there needs to be more monuments of living people. Living rappers people. should have monuments. Well, I, there should be a monument to every rapper who gets at least one platinum album. <laughs> and Missy has more than one. <laughs> this is just, the nation will be riddled with monuments at, the, at that point. <laughs> I mean, but, if, but that's not a bad thing. I mean, like, okay, like because monuments are usually placed in like public squares or whatever, right. you know, like right. or like uh, uh, like a roundabout and on like Main Street. Otherwise, right. what's there is like a tree, and I got nothing against trees. They're great. I see trees <laughs> everywhere all the time. You know, I don't see all the time sweet stone figures of rappers and pop culture figures. I'm all for it. I'm all for it, too. You're, you're paying respect, and it's also beautification. I mean, it's just pretty cool. That's all. Uh, hey, in case you missed it, uh, this week, Tina Fey had some interesting advice about how to cope with uh, societal unrest. Uh, she's a University of Virginia graduate, and she visited the Weekend Update set to talk about the recent protests by white supremacists and Nazis and had interesting advice on how to personally deal with the emotional turmoil of witnessing such hatred. She invented something she called sheet caking. Here's a clip. I know a lot of us are feeling anxious and we're asking ourselves like, what can I do? I'm just one person. What can I do? And so I would urge people this Saturday, instead of participating in the screaming matches and potential violence, find a local business you support, maybe a Jewish-run bakery or an African-American-run bakery. (laughs) Order a cake with the American flag on it, like this one, and um, just eat it, Colin. (laughs) Wait, I'm sorry, how is that supposed to help? Love is love, Colin. Sorry, what? And then next time when you see a bunch of white boys, boys in polo shirts scream about taking our country back, and you want to scream, it's not our country, we stole it. From the, from the Native Americans. They stole it from the Native Americans, and when they have a peaceful protest at Standing Rock, uh, we shoot at them with rubber bullets, but we let you chinless turds march through the streets with semi-automatic weapons. And when you want to yell that, don't yell it at the clan, Colin. Yell it into the cake. She's as she's doing this. This 
she's uh, just just devouring this cake, and it goes on and on. And she gives this very impassioned political rant as she's eating this sheet cake, and uh, uh, sheet caking became a thing. I don't know if y'all saw that episode of this thing that they're doing this summer of SNL's Weekend Update on Thursday nights in primetime. Last week's episode, start to finish, was phenomenal. Yeah. I, like I, I've, I was skeptical that it would be good. It, it was great. So. There so go. there was a uh, there was there were some takes there. I saw a lot of takes on Twitter this week about how it seems like Tina Fey is encouraging people to just not get involved and be in like local activism and justice in your community and just stay home and eat sheet cake instead. And I feel like it's pretty clear that she was just satirizing. Absolutely. Like the movement. Right. She's not actually saying people should just stay home and eat cake the entire no. time. She was just saying She's, it's like she I felt like she was saying things have gotten so absurd that it's like almost you feel helpless and all you can do is just eat cake. She was just kind of satirizing that feeling everybody's having. She wasn't advocating for it. Come on. Yeah, that's what I, that was my take. I would go as far as to say that there needs to be a monument on the University of Virginia campus of <laughs> Tina Fey with cake being stuffed into her mouth, like as a reminder. Name a more iconic grad than Tina Fey. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, I didn't remember. I didn't connect that she went to UVA until I saw that clip. Yeah. Yeah, she was yeah, wearing yeah. A, a, a UVA yeah. sweatshirt and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, in case you missed it, there's probably going to be four seasons now, four seasons of Stranger Things. So as we approach the season two debut of the series, the show's creators, the Duffer Brothers, spoke with Vulture and revealed that audiences shouldn't expect resolutions anytime soon. They said the plan is to make Stranger Things a four season series and that season three has already been greenlit. The new season drops on October 27th. Just in time, I, you can binge it all Halloween weekend. I, I get it. I, you know, here's the thing. I don't like when TV uh, series creators go out and say, well, you know, I, I, like that they have like a hard end date for how many seasons are going to be. I want to go into every season expecting resolution. Like it makes me not want to watch a show if I know like, dude, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to wait t- two more years after this yeah, to, to, yeah. for this to be resolved. Like I wish I going into every season, there's the possibility that it could just end and that it, because otherwise it's just like over. It's just like, I'll wait, I'll wait four years and just binge this all in a week because it's not <laughs> worth like the years of waiting. I, I wish well, it's like, uh, they, the final seasons of certain shows like Mad Men and stuff. They split them into halves and yeah. then they waited a year in between them and stuff. It's just like, I, I'm with you. I kind of wanted to just wait until the second half was airing and then just catch up all at once and just kind of ride it out. I mean, that, the gaps are frustrating. I'm, I'm with you. Well, and I feel like creatively, I, I like the season by season thing, not knowing that there's like a massive 10 year plan, Right. you know, like keep the story going in a pure, interesting way. And I don't need to know what the long term is. Right. I want to know that you're yeah. inching the story forward in interesting, creative ways, not that there's you know, one bazillion moving parts behind the scenes. I agree with you. And in, in the case of Stranger Things too, I feel like it's such a, I, I generally like the first season, but it's such a monument to like childhood. By the fourth season, you, I don't really care to see a bunch of 17 year olds driving their dad's cars around trying to deal with <laughs> alien space monsters in the same way I liked the sort of Spielberg-y ETS aspect of the first season. Right. Yeah. Yeah. See, I think that's kind of the fun of it. I totally disagree with your criticism there, Tyler. I think that's a terrible reason not to like four seasons of this show. There's nothing less cute than like cute child stars aging before it's your true. eyes. Okay, here's the thing. I, I don't want to throw I, I watch hey Tyler, I know <laughs> I know you don't like not a big modern family fan, but I've watched I've watched every season of Modern Family. And oh man, you're a brave like, man. 
it's commitment. <laughs> you can go. It's crazy because they're all. It's on in syndication. There's like eight seasons now, and it's regularly on like USA or you know Hulu or whatever. And uh, like you can flip on any any like old rerun. And I couldn't tell by looking at any of the adults on the show like what season it was. Like they, right, sure, they, right. even though it's been on for almost a decade, they all look reasonably the same. But the kids have aged so dramatically that I can tell if like the older they've got, the less I've like them on screen. It's nothing against them yeah. as actors. It's just like I guess. I guess to your point, Tyler. Like it's not the same watching like a precocious Manny as a kid as it is watching him like going to college, you know, and dealing with whether he should wear a tuxedo on his first day. Well, it loses some of its folksy <laughs> charm. You go, you go back to uh, what Family Matters, where little little neighbor Steve Urkel was like the cute tween, and all of a sudden he's like the really awkward seventeen year old, and his voice changed. And you're just like, and then he becomes Stefan Urkel, and it's just like, <laughs> that's what we should do with Stranger Things: is give them all alter, alternate identities, like there's yeah. Stefan Urkels. Maybe that'll freshen it up. Yeah. Shauna, Shauna, did your household like Stranger Things? Did you guys dig into it? Um, so Aaron loved it, and so you know, every couple has to go through this, right? Do you watch it together? Do you not yeah. watch it together? Do you have permission to watch episodes without the other? And strange, so you know, there's a very complex matrix with all this stuff. And Stranger Things was one of them where it was like we watched the first episode together and then he was ready to watch the second and I wasn't and he was like babe here's the deal I'm watching it all right now and he <laughs> went a thousand percent and I still have only watched one episode and you know I think I was watching like West Wing for the third time or something I don't know but so I haven't even seen the whole thing I I get you know the the, the basic setup of it um, yeah. he has told me that if I could get my act together and watch the first season, he, we can watch the second one together. So I think that's our plan. Apparently, now I have till October 27th Apparently, to do that. Yep. There you go. I, I have a bad thing. I'm like terrible with like curiosity. Like I don't like being, I don't like not knowing something that I know I could know, you know, like I don't like the, the feeling of like anticipation of some sort of mystery, but knowing that I could easily just find out the answer to it. So the only thing about shows like Stranger Things, if I don't watch them right off the bat, I don't watch them at all because I will just like end up just going on Wikipedia and be like, oh, that sounds interesting. I bet that was fun to watch because I don't want to not know. Like if I can just read it, I'll probably just read uh, what happened online. Are you serious? Really? I do it all the time. All you the read- time. Like if I'm watching a show and I'm like, man, this is really good. I don't want to wait like, you know, I don't know, 40 hours or like for, for shows that are multiple seasons. A lot of times I'll just go and read the ending and then decide if I'm going to keep watching. <gasps> it. Oh, no! that is, that's not true. I don't believe so, that. You really dude, do that? I, it's totally true. I can't believe that. This is one I of the totally most disturbing true. things I, I can't help you myself. Ever. I can't. What like, is wrong I, I with you? I hate surprises. Why? Like, I, I hate surprises too, but I mean, like, enjoying the journey is the whole point of watching it. Give me an example. I, I, give me an example of something you've looked up to to see how it ended and then And then going. decided you didn't want to watch it. But decide that I didn't want yeah, to watch yeah, yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that happens all the time with movies. Like there's, I'll see a trailer and I'm like, dude, that movie looks awesome. And then I'll read the trailer. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's the twist. Okay. I'll probably pass. But like, I, I knew what happened at the end. I binged like, uh, the last season of breaking bad. Like I didn't watch it real time. I, I, I waited till it was, uh, you know, like on, uh, on Netflix or on demand or whatever. And I knew I read what happened and I just wanted to, I still, I saw that through, but I can't tell you how many times I see like an interesting trailer for a movie and like, 
Fantastic. The last like two M Night Shyamalan movies, I'm like, ooh, I bet, I bet he. Yeah, I heard he's got his 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 mojo back, and I just read the synopsis online. I'm like, yep, he nailed it. You know, I hadn't seen the movie. <laughs> you are blowing my mind right now. This surprises me about you. So you did like Cliff's notes and stuff in in high school. You didn't read the book. You just got the the gist. I, I mean, yeah, if there was a cliff note for hey, the thing is, it has to be motivated by curiosity. You know, okay. like I'm not going to if it's not like the office where I can just read then like I don't if, if it's plot driven, not if it's like a, a comedy or something where I'm just watching for the amusement of it. But if it's something that I I like I said, the thing is, I don't like not knowing something that I know I could know if I wanted to. That's the issue. I do. I, I'll, I'll, I'll be sitting but, there and it's like, nope, it's too distracting. But I go read the Wikipedia. Entry. I get that about like information. You know, like uh, uh, they have like services for like executives who are too busy to read books and they'll send you like summaries of the top yeah. business books and stuff like that. I get that for information. But for entertainment, the point is to to enter like it entertains you and it's about watching and, and absorbing the experience, man. I think that's what surprises me about it for you in particular, Jesse, is because you're such a you're so interested in and conversant about the nature of storytelling and art making and creativity that the the fact that you want to kind of skip through the experience of it just for the plot line surprises me and well i'll say this it's not that i it's, it's not that i want to skip it it's that the urge to know is stronger than the urge <laughs> to experience it that's the thing i have nothing against the experience i think the experience is awesome i'd love going on like the journey but some i have a phone in my hand and i'm like i'm just gonna read it right now i'm just gonna find out you know and then act surprised when it happens but i it, like i said like it's more of a self-control it. thing than not enjoying the aspect of storytelling wow well learn something new every day i'm shocked yeah hey well in case in case you missed it this week, uh, our friend John Christ unveiled Uber Christian, the rideshare app exclusively for Christians. Um, now, it should be noted before we play the clip that a shocking number of people on our Facebook page believed this was a real app. So, uh, what? Come, come on, people. We're better than that. Here we go. Uber Christian, you can now enjoy like-minded conversations with drivers who also prefer Fox News over CNN. And with complimentary water and breath mints, we'll make sure you travel feeling refreshed and uplifted. They're testing your safety is always guaranteed as each ride includes prayer for traveling mercies and a hedge of protection. Believe in predestination? No seatbelt required. At Uber Christian, our custom maps will even prompt detours to avoid potentially tempting situations like bars, nightclubs, and women jogging in yoga pants. Upon arrival, each driver will send you off with a side hug of encouragement. Then rate your driver based on fruits of the spirit. Finally, for the believer who doesn't want to be in the world or of it, Uber Christian. Love your ride? You can even tip your driver with an inspirational Bible verse. So live your best life now with Uber Christian. There you go. Here's the thing. Like, people, their comments were like, is this really necessary? Ah, I don't know this is needed. <laughs> of course it's not. That's the point. Like, how could you? It's sad. It, it is a sad state of, like, the, of, the, you know, the, the Christian industrial complex that this is a, it's parody, but it's actually conceivable as well. See, there are a lot of sad things happening in the world, but there are fewer sadder things than reading the comments on our Facebook posts. Right. You know, oh, like, trust me. It's really trust true. Me. <laughs> We're thankful for all of our readers, but we're not really thankful for all of our readers because some of you guys are nuts. Most of the some people you guys are nuts and super, super mean about the person's name you see in the byline, even though you've never known that. You've never met that person, and they can be a perfectly pleasant person who got his happy face turned to a sad face in kindergarten, and it still wrecks him to be publicly shamed. So I'm just throwing that out there, Facebook people. 
<laughs> oh man. Um, hey, in case you missed it, lastly, James Franco's baffling conversation with philosopher uh, with a philosopher about the ethics of abortion went viral this week. Uh, so he co-hosts a new series of YouTube videos called Philosophy Time, where uh, Franco talks with philosophers and academics about deep moral and ethical issues. In one of the recent videos, Liz Harmon of Princeton discusses the morality of early abortion. Harmon's argument for abortion is that essentially because unborn uh, children don't have a f- uh, has not had a future, then it does not have a moral status, even though she later concedes that these fetuses are at the beginning stages of persons. Uh, here's a clip of the conversation. Well, often we do know. So often if we know that a woman is planning to get an abortion and we know that abortion is available to her, then we know that that fetus is going to die, that it's not the kind, it's not a kind of thing like, like the fetuses that became us. It's not something with moral status on my view. Um, Often we have reason to believe that a fetus is the beginning stage of a person. So if we know that a, wo- it, that a woman is planning to continue her pregnancy, then we have good reason to think that her fetus is something with moral status, something with, the, with this future as a person. So what you're saying is if the fetus is never destined to become a person, it doesn't have moral status. If a woman decides to have an abortion with an early fetus, just that act or that intention negates the the moral status of that early fetus just because we she if she goes out and has an abortion she's pretty certain that it's not going to become a person wow what, what yeah what's what's interesting it, like on that clip and why i think it's being shared so much is like the, the not just like his franco's like james franco's response to like that weird circular logic, like literally yeah. just like questioning like, something. Yeah, that, the the fetus is a person and has a moral, you know, right if we choose to give it to them. I mean, yeah. it's just like what in, in in the video itself, like the the expression on his face. Is, I mean, he's a very expressionate guy, but he looks baffled. And they even play like a little graphic that shows like the circular logic of this type of thing. It's it's just such a like a strange. Like baffling philosoph, you know. I know she's approaching it from a philosophical angle, but that would make that makes it even more unsettling. That this, if 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 your moral position is because of this like philosophical angle that makes no sense, that you know Jane Franco kind of calls into question in this video, then that that's something that that's really unsettling because the stakes are so high with something like yeah. abortion. Louis C.K.'s opening bit of his current Netflix comedy special, which is, you know, not safe for the little, little ears, he tack- he comes right out and the very first thing he does is tackle abortion. And his, you know, reasoning makes far more sense from yeah. a moral standpoint than, you know, and he was kind of lampooning this kind of thing. I mean, this kind of circular logic of moral, uh, you know, equivalency that, that is kind of out there in, in the, you know, pro-choice world. He kind of like kind of called out how illogical it is through comedy, you know? Yeah. But my goodness. Yeah. And I'll say this. If you want to see some feisty YouTube comments, check out the comments under this video on our Facebook page. (laughs) Facebook.com slash relevant. Don't miss anything. Go there, subscribe, and fear for your soul by reading the comments. (laughs) All right. Well, that'll do it for In Case You Missed It. Stay tuned. Up next, Slices.
listening to Phoenix. The song is J-Boy. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Rat Boy with the song Get Over It. Rat Boy is a, uh, a, a British hip-hop guy, you know, from the grime scene over there. Um, hey, Jesse, this is a big deal. This is uh, the last slices being recorded in our current studio. This is it. This is the end of an era right now. Our yeah. our little home here is going away next week. We're moving downtown to new studios, which won't really be built out for a while. So we're going to be kind of podcast homeless for a few weeks at least. But um, here we go with the last slices of this era. What do you have, Jesse? Well, I will say this too, Cameron. I know this is an emotional moment, obviously. And, you know, there's... Soaking you know, it with- in. With, with the with the the studio being built out, there's some uncertainty, uh, you know, about uh, you know technically for future podcasts in the in the very near future. May I suggest mm-hmm. this: mm-hmm. find a Home Depot in the Orlando area <laughs> and just post up right out there. I mean, they've been they've been waving me off. For, I mean, there's guys circling me with the orange vest right now, kind of <laughs> questioning what I'm doing out here, but. You know, hey, it's a if it's good enough. If it's good enough for Oprah, it's good enough for the relevant podcast. Exactly. <laughs> we record I, mean, you know, I need some ambiance is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I'm right by the interstate too. And it's very, <laughs> very distracting. But um, <laughs> I'm just but, saying, like, I know we're approaching <laughs> Philly out of the studio. I'm just throwing alternatives out there, you know, yeah. soaking up some rays. Well, yeah. vitamin D does me good when I do my slices. Um, so I have, I, I'm going to, I'm going to end the, the studio area with a twofer. Um, and one of them, you know, Cameron, the other thing too, is like right now, uh, if people have been following you or following relevant on social media, they realize we're hiring. We're looking for people looking to, you know, we for got, we so got a lot many of people. I know yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it's scary, Shauna. It's I mean, exciting. Within, within the next year, our staff will kind of probably go from 15 to 40. And that terrifies me. So I'm, How? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm hesitant. I'm not hesitant. I'm embracing the new and it's all about new. I don't want to stay here. I don't want life to tread water. We're, we're taking some big new risks and that's a lot of fun, but it's like, I hate managing people. That's the least, my least favorite part of this. <laughs> and so the idea of having 40 people that I'm responsible for, I'm like, come on, can I just work with my three friends and go change the world? But anyway, yeah, well, I mean, it's, good, it's a good problem to have. And, and one of the issues with it is that, uh, you know, and we talked, we talked to, we touched on this a little bit a couple of weeks ago is like, you know, we're looking through a lot of resumes right now and, and, and different things that, that, that are red flags, different things that stand out, different things that make you, you know, kind of, you know, bookmark this one and kind of come back to it. And I read a story, uh, uh this week about, uh, a, a school in the UK that's been exploding in popularity. And my thing is like, you know, I've talked about like how to make an impression on your employer, but really like the subtlety of something like a, like an interesting certification or like some sort of uh, degree that may not be relevant to the field, but is the person I want to work with, you know, like that kind of little nugget in, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to like grab my attention. I just want to kind of see those little touches throughout. Mm-hmm. It tells me about the person. So yeah. this school in the UK has seen an explosion of popularity. It's a mermaid Academy where people <laughs> learn <laughs> it teaches mermaiding to students uh, everything from uh, t- uh, treading water with the mermaid tail to the proper technique of diving with the mermaid tail to even learning about mermaid more lore They've actually had about 300 students recently pass through the Mermaid Academy and get their mermaid certification. Now, 
I don't know what it doesn't say what the potential job market is for these mermaids. I can't imagine. I know there's that one place in Florida that has like a live mermaid tank, which is just some poor person swimming around in a mermaid tail all day. So I don't think this is something that's going to land you a mermaid job. But what employer is going to look at your resume and be like, this person's a certified mermaid? Like, I, if it comes between you and another candidate that have, that are equally qualified, equally came off the same salary, everything, and someone's a certified mermaid, I think I'm going mermaid here. Dude, they, there's, there's actual professional mermaids in Florida. There's this big lake called Lake Okeechobee and they have Weeki Wachee Springs. And since, you know, like f- there's this two kinds of Floridas. There's the Florida entertainment tourism thing now. But then back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, there was like roadside attractions, you know, before the interstates yeah. came through. And so back in that era, like little springs and natural places would, would like kind of create little tourism things. And they started doing this like mermaid show. I found myself on their website this week. I don't know why it's still going and they are, they have professional mermaids and they give you bios about them and they do these shows and then they have like King Poseidon and the Prince yeah. and they all like swim underwater and do shows. I don't understand it. I mean, it's impressive. But And, and I was looking at some of the pictures of these mermaids. <laughs> the first thing that would happen if I went to a mermaid school is I would get into the pool in the deep end with yeah. and I would realize my legs are tied together in a, in a glittery like sleeping bag and I Jitter can't glitter. swim. I would yeah. drown immediately. <laughs> like it seems like that's a terrible <laughs> it's a terrible thing Thing to try to swim with um so but like i said if for, for those real go-getters there's an academy out there if you want to get your mermaid certification i also had one more thing i wanted to briefly discuss i know i i know we're we're already deep into this podcast but um something that uh, uh is just is created a debate online that i think is a, a totally uh, a, a dumb debate it's um we are coming up on pumpkin spice latte season and it's, oh the, no the, no but here's the thing evidently there is like a pumpkin spice arms race going on right now like jamba juice is getting their pumpkin spice smoothie ready and all these all the pumpkin spice snacks are coming it's still out still august but the, Here's I mean, the real controversy is McDonald's. It wants to get a jump on, uh, on the Starbucks and all the other coffee makers because it, you know, pumpkin spice started as like an October thing, right? You know, like it, the it, leaves it, turn it, and, and fall, pu- yeah, falls in the air. Sweater weather. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. McDonald's will be releasing their pumpkin spice in, this month in like in the coming week, like in the coming days in August. McDonald's is, is is releasing pumpkin spice to be the first out of the gate. All this does, I am I'm against seasonal foods in general. You <laughs> should serve the whole menu should be available all the year round, and this just underscores. So my you point. want a shamrock shake in July? That's your prerogative. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Seasonal foods are a modern construct, and they make no sense. I want to eat what I want to eat when I want to eat it. You want a Cadbury cream egg at your July Fourth party? That's your prerogative. I don't want to be look like a psycho if I'm eating a candy cane at the beach <laughs> in the middle of summer. <laughs> I'm tired of the looks. I like candy canes. They're refreshing. They're minty. (laughs) They're easier to eat than those, like, you know, little beach ball ones. It's the same candy as one that looks like a beach ball. Why is it inappropriate if it's shaped like a cane? It makes no sense. It's a it's a modern construct that needs to go away. And this whole ridiculous pumpkin spice debate just underscores my point further. If you you, wanna if you want to crank your AC, put a a mock turtleneck sweater on and you know, watch a DVR football game in the in, in the middle of summer and drink yeah. your pumpkin spice latte more power to you 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 celebrate valentine's day with gingerbread houses that's that's what you, <laughs> you 
Exactly. I know. Precisely. You, guys, you know, I don't like to argue on the internet. I don't like to be a controversial person. Don't but go you're to our getting, Facebook this page. Is, this is getting yeah. me really wound up. It's bad. I hate. I hate fall. I hate it. What? Oh, I hate wow. it. Oh, I hate things that are orange. Take. I hate boots. I hate things that smell like cinnamon. I hate <laughs> scented candles. I'm, I'm, I, this is this is my worst season. And when people try to start it in August, it makes me really upset. <laughs> we are still squarely summertime. Wait a second. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, so I, yeah, I am shocked that you don't like the smell of cinnamon. Like, I don't it, like the taste of it. I don't like the smell of it. Don't put it in my coffee. See, Certainly don't make my coffee taste like a pumpkin. My favorite thing about <laughs> Christmas not. is walking into the grocery store and smelling those cinnamon brooms that they sell, you know? Mm, no, they, I, no. I do. I, I, I buy one. I take a big bite right when I get home. I eat the whole broom. <laughs> I stick it in my tea. You know, I stick the broom in. Those, those are candy, right? Yeah, there are very few things I really hate. Ham and cinnamon. Those, those are my two no's. Don't in they this sprinkle world. cinnamon on ham or is that brown sugar? I don't know. But, I don't know. Okay, I but don't, I, don't, I, don't I, don't I got a happen. question about your ham and cinnamon inversion. Is it because it's sort of a chicken or the egg thing? Is it because those things are associated with the season that you dislike? Like if if you if if or like in a vacuum, like outside the context, and this is my issue with seasonal foods. Outside yeah. the context of that association, would you enjoy ham otherwise? Okay, no. So I don't. I don't think ham is specifically autumnal. I just don't like ham. That's like just a thing I don't like. Okay. But cinnamon. I think people get like, it's like it all has to go together. I have to put on my sweater with my boots, with my plaid scarf, and now everything smells like cinnamon. I just hate the whole thing. And do you know why? Your kindergarten teacher did it. Because I just want it to still be summertime. Uh, It's the death of warm. Anytime people get excited about fall, what they're doing is killing the best season of the year by one million. You know you live in the wrong state. I totally do. And that's the other thing is I get it. Because we only have like four minutes of summer. So when people try to end it early, I'm really not having it. <laughs> you know, Shana, my if somebody had asked is, me before today, if somebody had said, hey, Tyler, do you know if Shauna Nequist likes fall? Not knowing the answer at all, I would have said, Shauna, oh, absolutely. She's a big autumn person. She loves fall. <laughs> I would have you, thought- just, you just give that up. You just give off a fall vibe. I do? Oh, then I, I, I need like a rebrand. I need like a real, I need to look, take a long, hard look at myself because I hate it. See, I would have thought, I, I would like Tyler, I would have thought that you maybe don't like like the dead of winter, but yeah. you like the coolness of fall and it's yeah. wonderful in Chicago and it's time to bundle up, but it's not bitterly cold and you can still do things outside and sit around the fire with your s'mores or whatever people do in the cool weather. I don't know. Here's the <laughs> thing. I don't mind what's happening from a nature standpoint. I just don't like the hype that people make around. <gasps> It. Yeah. <laughs> fine, fine. If, if it gets a little cooler, that's fine with me. Don't make me drink things that taste like pumpkins. Oh, you know what? I blame your kindergarten teacher. She probably yeah. did a lot of decorations <laughs> a little too early for your mm-hmm. taste, and little little Shauna just was ha- wasn't having it because she can't play outside anymore. She's stuck at school now, and now she hates fall. Yeah, I just don't get the hype, right? I understand the hype of summer. Summer's great. Summer's amazing. The hype of winter, Christmas. I get it. The hype of spring, new life. Autumn, everything's dead. I don't like it. I don't, I don't understand why we get excited about it. See, my, my thing, I know in my household when the changing seasons are coming because of the hand soap changes in the, all the bathrooms. Like, <laughs> oh, Acapulco sunrise, summer is on the way. You know, really? like... The, the other thing is I respect these these hand soap makers for marketing it, even though, again, 
I'm flavor agnostic seasonally. Like I could, I could eat, I could, I could use a Christmassy, you know, housewarmer smelling hand soap in the dead of summer. It doesn't affect me. I respect them. You guys also notice that those fancy hand soaps, they, 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 all the names are like fancy cocktails. Like, ooh, Acapulco Breeze. I'll try some of this. And you can smell it. And it is intoxicating. Mm, Yeah, exactly. Give me some more of that. That's pretty nice, you know? There you go. All right, what do you have, Tyler? Okay, so I uh, I feel like I'm the only one who's interested by this, but I'm gonna use I'm gonna sell it here with my performance because <laughs> I lo- I look forward to the release of this every year. This is my this is my Christmas in August. Uh, the release of Forbes highest paid actors and actresses of the year, which I think says so much about our society and about the things that we value as a nation and as a people right now. And what I think is doubly interesting is who people think the highest paid actors and actresses of the year were versus who they actually are, because I would venture to guess that there's going to be zero overlap between the two here, unless you've already seen the list. I haven't seen the list. So you're saying this is like a Rorschach test for the American, you know, pop culture psyche, like who we actually value in monetary terms. Is this, is this the earnings from movies or just earnings overall? Earnings overall. This okay, is everything. So then I would say that the majority of famous actresses probably are making more money from their endorsements than their movies. And so I'm now trying to think whose faces am I seeing on a lot of commercials? You're orbiting, you're orbiting something that's, that's true, first of all, Cameron. And also I think is really interesting about the celebrity industry. Um, the, I'll tell you this, the highest paid actress did get there on the strength of her movies, but the second highest paid actress is there almost exclusively because of her endorsements. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. So I, I mean, famous actresses that are, had big movies, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, uh, um, I'm blanking. Um, what's Jennifer Lawrence in? I mean, the last year. Yeah, that's true. Jennifer Lawrence. Was Jennifer Lawrence last year, last, last year, year was highest paid, but not, not 2016 this past year. Any guesses? It was uh, it was Emma Stone who uh, got there uh, solely on the strength of La La Land. Really, and, uh, her upcoming movie, her upcoming movie. So with she Steve had a Carell. big like back end deal with La La Land and indie movie, and then right. it explodes and she makes a lot of money. That's smart. Good deal, right? Uh, but the number two actress is somebody who I haven't seen in a movie, gosh, in years. Uh, it's Jennifer Aniston. Number two. Mm. Number wow. two. Twenty seventeen. Wow, a lot of smart water. Avino. Yeah, uh, yeah. moisturizer. 20, $25.5 million. Wow. What? Oh, wow. So here's the yeah. thing. I can't remember the last th- like film or TV show that I've watched Jennifer Aniston in as like in character, but I see her on TV or hear her voiceover she almost has, every single day. She has dry exactly. eyes. She's got a fix for that. She has dry skin. <laughs> She's got a fix for that. Uh, yeah. Man, that's crazy. Um, Rounding out the top five, Jennifer Lawrence, Melissa McCarthy, and then another actress who I would have to imagine, I didn't see this, but I have to imagine is because of her endorsements is Mila Kunis. Because I haven't seen Mila Kunis she's in a Jim movie Bean. in quite a while, she's Jim but I Bean. know she's yeah. got a lot of yeah. stuff. Uh, what what did the, the, did the endorsement thing hold on the male side? Do you have the list um, for the males? I do have the list of the males. Uh, I'll say that... The uh, endorsements in the way that we've been talking about, no, it's it's almost all movies here with one significant outlier who's there for a reason that will become apparent as soon as you hear the name. I think I would think George Clooney would have a lot with uh, business and endorsements because he, didn't he just sell his his uh, tequila for a billion dollars? What? 
I I thought that too, but he's actually not even on the top twenty. But he literally just sold. He was a co-owner of a tequila company, and he they just sold for a billion dollars. So yeah. maybe that's twenty seventeen. He'll be on next year's list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's possible. Yeah. And yeah. I hear his voice in a lot of commercials. Yeah. A lot of these, a lot of actors Absolutely. will do. Yeah. Okay. What about Matthew McConaughey with his Lincoln stuff? Is he on the uh, list? He, w- he was top ten, but not top five. Wow. I, then I'm I'm blanking. Who do we got? So so number one was Mark Wahlberg. Because of Transformers and Daddy's Home too, and Directv commercials. <laughs> oh, and Wahlburgers! Wow. Yeah, I am not clearly his demographic. And Wahlburgers. Hey, there's, there is a Wahlburgers directly across the street from our new office downtown. So uh, we'll, we will I've be never, supporting the Wahlburg Empire. One. So, yeah, uh, that's he. He made sixty-eight million. That's his. That was 68, his take for the year. What, hold on, hold on. Our, <laughs> our culture gave Marky Mark. <laughs> yeah. Seventy million dollars. That's a lot of Calvin Klein's that he's he's racking up. That's crazy. Two movies, neither of which are are in trans. The new Transformers movie was a flop. Daddy's Home Two. I don't even know if it came out yet or not. That's how little it's on my radar. I would have thought Chris Pratt would be number one. Yeah, Um, that's true. You know, Chris, uh, a Guardians of the Galaxy actor, a Guardians of the Galaxy actor is on the list, but it's not Chris Pratt. Is it? Is it Groot? It's it's Vin Diesel in third place. Oh, interesting. Oh. Between well, Vin, D- and, Vin uh, Diesel also had the uh, Fast and Furious movies. He had Fast and Furious, that, and Dwayne Johnson is number two, just ahead of him, also because of Fast and the Furious. And so uh, Mark Wahlberg, The Rock, and Moana, and, and uh, Moana. Baywatch. Yeah. Uh, number four uh, and five are both surpri- the big surprises. Number four is Adam Sandler. Because of that Netflix deal where he gets to make like seven movies a year for them or whatever. And he takes it all the way to the bank. And then in fifth place is Jackie Chan, who's still making bank over in China. What? That's that's shocking. So the top three guys, uh, the lesson is you have to have big muscles. And then number four, Adam Sandler. I don't know what the lesson there is. You just have to be annoying. Yeah. So his next movie, his next movie, uh, Netflix movie, actually looks decent. It's with Noah Baumbach, is the uh, director and writer, who's actually done good movies. There's this theory that I can't remember what the number was. It's like eight or something that every eighth Adam Sandler movie is actually pretty good, but that doesn't equate <laughs> to a lot of movies over the course of the career, of his career. But you have like um, Punch Drunk Love, Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, uh, then you have, um, you know, some people will put funny people in that category. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, sure. it's only, it's only, you have movie. to count out the terrible ones. And then he does one good one to remind you that he's got it in him if he wants to. He just doesn't want to most of the time. I thought funny people is phenomenal. It's any movie where he doesn't do a voice. You know, yeah. like it, it, whenever he's just like trying to be yeah, a, character, a character, like it's just annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. All the way to the bank. He's annoying us all the way to the bank. Uh, Okay, uh, guest cast member for the day. Shauna, do you have a slice today? I sure do. And I I feel like it only makes sense that this, this could only happen, I feel, in your home state, Cameron. Oh, thank you. So this is a classic, what I think is a classic Florida story. I don't know if you guys knew this, but this week there was a solar eclipse. (laughs) Hold on, what's that? I'll I'll run you through it. Um, (laughs) But a lot of other things happened. That's not the only thing that happened on Monday. So I want to tell you a crime story. And the, the best part about this article is the quote from the arresting officer that says, this is an arrest that only happens every 99 years. So a suspected car thief uh, stole a car, 
was being pursued by the uh, Orange County Sheriff's Auto Theft Unit. And so they're hot on his trail. They're, they're looking for when to pull him over. And he pulls into a parking lot to purchase a welder's mask, gets back in, and then wants to watch the eclipse from the stolen car. <laughs> so I just I feel like you, you back up a couple steps and you're like, okay, today's the day I'm going to steal a car. I'm going to do yeah. it. I did it. I'm in the car. Maybe maybe you're like listening to the radio in your new stolen car and you're like, what? An eclipse? I need to be a part of this. Never mind that I'm mid-crime. <laughs> so he puts his crime on hold. He goes to buy a welder's mask, which NASA says probably not. Probably that was not the right choice for him, but he's already not making great choices this day. Yeah. So I feel like we could see that coming. He is in the vehicle with the welder's mask on and the police have to actually get his attention to tell him, hey, buddy, we're right here. I know I know you're watching the eclipse, but we're right here. And now you're under arrest because you have obviously stolen this car. So the moral of the story is: if you're going to steal a car, if you're going to steal a car, focus. Focus. Don't right. what's happening. Wait, wait. Are you saying if you're going to steal a car, Ford Focuses are a prime target? <laughs> Absolutely. If you're going to steal a car. Underrated. Focus. Underrated. We're saying Ford Focus. JD Power and Associates. I mean, <laughs> they hold their value. You know. My, you know, what's curious about this story to me, Shauna, is that he stole the car, but he bought the welder's mask. Definitely, like, yes. It, it seems like it seems like if you're a thief, like it, it, like his 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 morality and his ethics are very confusing to me because like stealing somebody's car is like violating, like oh you know you spent a lot of time in a car, like oh it's like you stole something you know important to me. But he he purchases the welder's mask like that, that. That is confusing about. There's a lot of things confusing about this guy. But that's what really makes him an interesting figure to me is where the line is with his theft. If I was like the, a complex criminal mastermind, right? Yeah, we don't just yeah. we don't understand what's happening in his brain. If I was this guy and I was going to steal a car on Monday afternoon, I would have definitely stolen a Mitsubishi Eclipse. And oh. then, and then oh, the irony gosh. is, while I was in my chase from the police. I got in a wreck, totaled it. Total eclipse. Total eclipse. You'd be one of those Batman villains who has like a method behind everything. You're leaving clues everywhere for the officers to pick up and puzzle over. Like, he struck again. What could it possibly mean? At, at that point, the entire route that you drove before the car was crashed and totaled would be the path of totality. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> oh, right. And I totaled the eclipse during, yeah. at the exact moment of the total eclipse. The totality. Yeah, at the end of the path of totality. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that'll do it for Slices. Stay tuned. Up next, Charlie Cox joins us. to Grizzly Bear. The song is Morning Sound, but it's not the sound of the mornings. It's the sound of mourning, like with the U, right? Like sad. 
This week's feature segment is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, beautiful gallery, professional blog, or an online store, it's all included with your Squarespace website. Creating a site with Squarespace is simple. You can use one of their best-in-class templates, customize it however you want, all without a single plugin. And if you sign up for a year of Squarespace, they will include a custom domain for free. If you're doing a store, they have amazing commerce tools and incredible customer support as well. We use Squarespace here. I use I I'm, I'm, I'm weekly. I'm updating it right now with job openings and all that stuff. Relevantmediagroup.com. Love Squarespace. We're actually launching a new thing this fall, and we're building a Squarespace website for the marketing side of it. So, hey, we don't just ind- we just don't uh, have them as a sponsor. We actually use the product. We love them. Yeah. Squarespace is offering Relevant Podcast listeners a special offer. You can start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code RELEVANT to get 10% off your first purchase. Do it. Uh, Squarespace, here we go. Set your website apart. They keep giving us different taglines. I like that one. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Charlie Cox plays Daredevil in the new Netflix miniseries, The Defenders, which brings together heroes including Iron Fist, Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage. Unlike the Avengers-based MCU, the series has a grittier tone and deals with heavy real-world themes along with superhero crime fighting. That's right up Tyler's wheelhouse. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I won't deny it. No argument. Yeah. Uh, we recently talked with Charlie about his character's devout faith and the deeper messages of the show. Here is Charlie Cox. This is your uh, your more or less third time now uh, taking on this character. How, in your mind, has yeah. the character changed since season one? And just in terms of your performance and your understanding of his own characterization, how is he different now than when you first started? Well, you know, I just think, you know, one of the things that you have to think about when you go on from season to season of playing the same, you know, playing the same character, especially in a TV show when you're doing, you know, in my case, 13 hours a year. So I've now done, you know, 30 plus hours of this character is that, you know, you kind of you want to see incremental changes in character, um, you know, how they have been affected by the events that have happened you know so you know i think you know we we in in the case of the defenders you know the, the end of season two of daredevil was tremendously traumatic for matt you know he 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 lost someone that he loved he felt responsible for her death um he kind of you know every re- decent relationship in his life with was either over or, or severely fractured and he was kind of alone and left alone and ashamed and more than anything with the with the the possi- the thought of the possibility that he has caused more harm than good um which was obviously the the antithesis of what he set out to do and so the 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 map that we meet at the beginning of defenders i think is very very jaded and very uh, ashamed and trying his best to to put his next the next right foot forward and in his mind that is that is not a daredevil foot that's a matt murdoch foot that's a that's a lawyer's foot um uh, so you know as we see at the beginning of the show he's not he's no longer donning the horns and and going out there and fighting crime he's he's uh he's he's, he's just focusing his his energies on being a lawyer um uh, of, of course what we also know about matt is that he's he's pretty likely heavily addicted to to that to, to daredevil and so it doesn't take long for him to be to be you know um 
persuaded slash um uh you know give in to the to the um to the obsession and 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 kind of suit suit up again the challenge with shows like these is is to find take these these superhero characters these these sort of otherworldly in a big sense characters like daredevil and find a way to make them relatable to viewers and, and readers depending on the medium what about matt murdoch do you find most relatable um, you know the thing that I, the thing that, that we I try to do with Matt is just spend as much time concentrating on the on on the the on like the the human aspects. What I, you know, what I would call the character flaws. So the things that the things that aren't necessarily associated with superheroes. Um, things like you know, I think that, that, that Matt has a uh, can have a quite a short temper. Um, I think that he's quite stubborn, um, and he when he sees things a certain way, it, you know, it, he, it's almost impossible for him to be open-minded about that. He can't, he can't, he can't always see other people's um, point of view. Um, when he believes something, he believes it wholeheartedly, and he acts accordingly. Um, you know, and and he, as a, as a result, he can be quite selfish. He also, you know, you also you can't, you know, build a superhero based on just those things. You know, he's also someone who I think is more than anyone else I know. He would be willing to put himself on the line rather than risk the life of anyone else, whether it be a friend, a companion, or or, or even a stranger. Um, so, you know, the, the, I think. But to answer your question about relatability, I think it is about it's about it's about you know presenting this character as much as a, as a as a human as possible with all of their with all of their attributes and flaws and then just kind of allow the superhero element really to be plot just to be something that happens to be the case and and his superhero element is really is really what he does rather than how he behaves um uh, I think the danger, of course, of playing a superhero, particularly in a, in a, in a TV show when you've got multi, you know, so many hours to, to, to deal with of TV, you have to, you, you know, you have to, um, you have to kind of allow, you can't, if you, start, if you go down the route of playing someone who is morally, you know, advanced and, and you know, more earnest than, than others, I think that the danger is that becomes quite boring to watch. When you first signed on for Daredevil years ago now, you knew that there was a, a Defenders team-up that was being planned. From the first time you heard about that to now having done a first season of the Defenders, how different was it, or was it very different from kind of what you saw in your mind's eye when you first heard the pitch? Uh, expectations versus reality, how did it play out? I, you know, I, I, the truth is I had no idea. I couldn't even imagine what Defenders was going to be. Um, and I don't. Th I'm not convinced that they did really. I think that you know, I'm not sure anyone did. Uh, they. I signed on to Daredevil, and of course that was my that was my primary concern initially. And I knew that eventually the Defenders would happen. I just you know, but I didn't know when. It wasn't like they said, oh, by the you know, it will be, you know we'll be shooting it by the end of 2017. We had no idea. I had no idea that I'd do a second season of, Def of Daredevil. Um, what came. What was interesting is as the shows came out and, and I got to watch them and, and, and see how tonally different they were and how, how, how different the characters were, but, but mainly the tone of each show. I remember thinking, how are you going to combine these guys? Like, how, what, what is the tone of the Defenders going to be? Um, and I think what happened is really they, they kind of just evolved itself out of putting us in a room. You know, you, you, the writers, they, 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 they put these guys in a room. They, 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 
uh, you know, mimic the, 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 they mimic the kind of the way these people speak and the kind of characters they are based on the four individual shows and what you're left with is a tone you know and, and, that, and, and what it seems to be is it's, it's quite fun it's quite light hearted hopefully the stakes are still, are still there um, but it's um but it's um, you know it's just it's it was not not something I could ever have anticipated or figured out. I know that there's uh, there's plans to move ahead with uh, with Daredevil season three, and I guess I don't even know if that process has even begun or if you're shooting any of it yet. But uh, but moving forward, just either from a storyline or even just a characterization or element of Matt's characterization, what are some things you'd like to see explored uh, in Daredevil and the character of Matt and in the characters around him? What would be some personal hopes that you'd like to see happen? Um. I think it's hard for me to talk about because obviously I, you know, I know that we are going to be filming that and I don't want to kind of preempt what they're planning on doing. I would like, if, if you remember, the, one of the things I've said, I have said in the past actually, is when, if you, if you watch the end of season two, we ended really with Matt showing up at, at, at Nelson Murdoch and revealing to Karen that, that he is Daredevil. And I was thinking that I would like to, it, the, the conversation kind of abru- ends abruptly there. And I was thinking that I, I would like to, even maybe in the form of a flashback, I'm not sure how they'll do it, but I'd like, I'd, I'd like to explore that conversation. I'd like to see what, what that conversation was, or at least what the ramifications of it and how, and how Karen and Matt go forward. I really enjoy the Karen and Matt stuff. So I'm excited to see how that progresses, the, the relationship. Um, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping that's something that we can explore further in season three. Charlie Cox up next Sandra McCracken joins us to Summer Heart. The song is Follow. That's Shauna's uh, favorite band, Summer Heart. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely. Those are my two favorite words. It's her love language. Summer Heart. Yes. You should, you should add a summer tattoo next to your heart tattoo on your arm. Maybe I, maybe I will. I'll tell you what I won't add is like an autumn leaf. <laughs> <laughs> an Ugg boot. <laughs> an Ugg boot. A pumpkin. She's like adding emojis to her arm. Just like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Decoded message about your hatred for autumn. It's the worst, you guys. It's the worst. Sandra McCracken is a singer-songwriter who's known for everything from folk-inspired Americana to modern takes on classic hymns. Her latest album uh, she recorded live is called Steadfast, which is accompanied by a performance film, and it releases today. Uh, The album features collaborations with artists uh, including Liz Weiss and All Sons and Daughters, David Leonard, in an intimate worship setting. We recently had Sandra talk us through some of the album's standout tracks and give us a behind-the-scenes look at the new record. Here is Sandra McCracken.
let's just start with the title track, Steadfast. What was it about this song in particular that felt like it would be a good one to make the sort of the banner of the whole album? The word steadfast is really another word to me that's interchangeable with the word faithful um, and realizing that the fidelity of God um, is so it's so primary it's so important for me and my healing it's so important for us as humans because I know that I am like all four seasons in one day you know sometimes yeah. within one hour <laughs> and so as my emotions go up and down and as my circumstances come um, can sometimes be very stormy uh, there's there's this evenness to what we experience in God's character toward us like his love toward us and in his um, unwavering, steadfast presence. And it does not make me any less emotional, but it helps me to contextualize my emotion. And so it's been, it makes, for me, it's a theme because I need it to be a theme because I'm desperate to know that that's true. And I continue to be um, reminded of it by a song like Steadfast. I mean, it's kind of taking over because I feel like it's, it's also like my the name of my uh, small business around all the music stuff that <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. It's like, it is just like, I need this to be right in front of me, like a big index card that says, hey, Sandra, you are not the center. And there is one who holds the center on your behalf. And he is the faithful, um, the one of great fidelity that, um, that goes before and behind you, keeping and holding all things together. talk a little bit about the song uh, with great gentleness I was raised and I think a lot of uh, guys especially men but women too my age were raised um, hearing about God as as the warrior God as the, mm. the sort of William <laughs> Wallace uh, gladiator type uh, which is which is obviously very biblical and I don't want to totally discount the idea of God as a warrior but the idea of uh, of a gentle God is kind of there but it's pushed to the background a lot for people who were raised in a certain type of even Evangelical culture. So, with great gentleness, how what is that song about, and how have you seen that iteration of God in your life uh, over the past season? That's a great question, and I think just hearing your personal understanding of that, Tyler, is really significant. And I think so many of us experience we experience faith or Christianity by way of power systems, and when you begin to spend time with the person of Jesus in the Gospels there is um, like just this disruption of those power systems over and over and over again and it's not a passivity like Jesus does not demonstrate a passivity but a gentleness and those are kind of different things so it's strong but it's so strong that it chooses to be that he chooses to love in a way that it's irresistible right but it's also like generous there's space for you to come and meet him there in it and I guess that's been my experience this song with great gentleness came out of um, a little interaction with a, a friend of mine who was we were actually texting I was on my way home after a trip and on my way home I was like coming home to an empty house and she said a couple of things of encouragement and that she was praying for me to experience that Jesus would meet me there with open arms at my 
across the threshold of my house. I thought that was a beautiful image. And then a little bit later in the exchange, she said, great gentleness. Like, and I just, that phrase just really captured me because I realized I need to be like, I need to have gentleness for myself and I need it because it helps to realign even the fact that if, if this is God's posture toward me, why am I so self-condemning? You know, why yeah. am I so perfectionistic and realizing that those things are even in the song, it's meant to be a little bit of an interplay, like with great gentleness, he, he draws me how he draws me, you know, like this, it's like, uh, even the flow of that, in, in the phrasing of the song it feels like it was very meditative came up really suddenly when I wrote it and and I hope that even the melody and the song itself embodies that invitation where he he does invite us um, and he invites us like with a quiet voice that um, is not with it's not stripped of its strength it actually enhances the strength of it that he doesn't have to use power that he has laid down his power to enter in with us in such a welcome and such a tender welcome. So I'd like to live, I think it changes me and I want to live more into that. It feels like a different way of freedom. Come to Jesus, he will never cast you out, come you thirsty, put aside your also want to ask you about the song justice will roll down um it's a really beautiful phrase from the bible and it's one that i see deployed a lot uh particularly online uh when people are are hurting and uh, and are filled with a great sense of injustice and a sense of powerlessness about injustice uh the sense that they can't do anything there's a lot of comfort to be had in the idea that someday justice will roll down um uh, regardless of our ability to achieve it for ourselves now. Uh, how, where'd that song come from? That song I wrote um, many years ago, actually, and I was at lunch with some friends that work in the, that worked for International Justice Mission. And we were talking about the need for songs that would speak and give voice to um, the cry for justice. And, you know, I, I didn't write the song immediately. I kind of wrestled with it and I, I didn't want to write a piece that would feel like propaganda. Like, let's just go write this thing. Cause we need this thing. But yeah. I, Hey, kind of the song shows yeah. a little bit of that journey. I started to ask the questions like, what about my neighbors? Where do I see this? What does it mean for me to actually like embody those words? And that was challenging and convicting and continues to be a place that I, that I am growing and want to grow into, um, what it is to love people that are not just like me and that that's not actually just like some precious like idea that we have it's actually justice it means we are the same like if if i disagree or if i have um, a different background or a, a different way of seeing the world or a different color skin you know it's interesting jesus says uh both things he, he comes to bring unity and he also said i didn't come to bring peace but a sword and i think he knows we are naturally inclined to this tribal kind of division between mm-hmm. us and so he comes to say like I'm coming in the middle of that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just 
be incarnate in the middle of your differences. And I think in that we find um, the way forward. But that song, Justice Will Roll Down, really came out of a desire to grow in compassion and in self-awareness and in, you know, like as someone who came up in the Midwest and, you know, I didn't grow up in a wealthy family, but there's so much privilege that I assume and I, I need to be aware of it so that when I engage with neighbors, um, that it's not out of a place of blindness. Vision is obviously a very old favorite. Uh, it's something that a lot of us were raised in and really, really loved. And it's also something that we're very familiar with. Um, so when you when you play this one live or, or when you record it, uh, talk a little bit about the challenge of, of finding something fresh and meaningful in something that's so uh, that's so timeless. I think drawing from the past is um, a natural practice for me. I I feel like I'm. Uh, as the youngest child in a big family and, and also just being kind of in this middle space in, um, in my life, I feel like it is so important to have like a hand on our history and where we've gone and a hand on forward, like toward the future. Right. And so pulling from traditional songs, especially one like be that my vision that has like a folk melody that's so accessible. Mm -hmm. It tends to unify people just hearing something that um, is familiar. It's there's a unifying capacity that I, that like a new song or one of my own songs doesn't quite hold that yet. I hope that in 500 years, you know, one of these songs would have um, stood the test of time, but we know that a song like Be That My Vision has um, been enduring. And so I trust that. And I kind of, want to um lean back into that because i think it's a good practice of humility and as far as making it new i think some songs can handle a lot of renovations and other songs just don't need it and i think a song like be that my vision just doesn't need much you just it's just the joy of singing it together and remembering it from the first time we heard it be thou my That was Sandra McCracken. Up next, your feedback. You're listening to Pilgrims. The song is Crawling Back. I wonder if that means that 
it's like a zombie like invasion like of old ancient pilgrims crawling back from the seas or something. I don't I'd, know. I'd totally watch that. You know, I'd probably read the Wikipedia page to figure out how it turned out. But a zombie pilgrim movie, I kind of feel I'm kind of surprised there isn't one already. So I'm making a making an idea in the idea book right and making a note right now, guys. In the dream journal. Zombie pilgrim movie. It's gonna be gonna be huge. Get but, I'll get Mark Wahlberg to star. <laughs> Song is crawling back. Okay, it's time for your feedback. Back. Uh, last week, we asked you, I don't know how this came up, uh, what items would you use for bartering as an alternative to currency? Jesse, do you recall how we got to our barter society? Somebody, somebody was talking yeah. about um, Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Was yeah, it? and then we talked about alpacas. And right, right. then we talk about vats of <laughs> vats of stew that are made by made and sold on late night uh, Christian television. Oh, that's right. So, uh, so <laughs> we, the Bitcoin thing had a stock market crash essentially, and then we started talking about the fallacy of currency the 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 value we arbitrarily give to these paper objects or even minerals and gold and things like that. It's just arbitrary. So you know, we thought it's inevitable that one day we will be a post-currency world. What should we be stockpiling now to make ourselves ready for it? That was the genesis of it. That's right. Um, you guys hit us up on Twitter and uh, also posted on the, fa- uh, the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com. Here are a few of our favorites. And, and I want to preface this by saying this episode got the list last week's episode got a ton of feedback and 99% of that was about Lecrae and props conversation about Charlottesville. So uh, though we got a lot of feedback, most of it, you know, I think thoughtful. people were, resp- yeah, it was yeah. thoughtful. It was about the actual substance of the show and not this yeah. really weird question that we tacked on at the end. You're right. Yeah, we, uh, we do have some, but the feedback it's, of last it's, week's, not the, it's not the usual volume when it comes to the question of the week, the, the feedback yeah. uh, about the, uh, the conversation that we had with the Cray and prop about Charlottesville. I mean, number one, that their transparency, their boldness, uh, it was a moving, uh, conversation and, and you guys responded, um, it, unlike the Facebook comment people, you guys on Twitter <laughs> and stuff were impacted by it as well. It was really cool to see. Um, I actually saw some pastors who said they were taking notes and like sharing, you know, some of the stuff that the guys were saying in their sermons and stuff. I mean, it was, it was a really powerful thing last week. If you didn't yeah. hear it, go check it out. It's good. Yeah. Or you can just read the Wikipedia entry, get the gist. (laughs) (laughs) We did did publish like a truncated sort of transcription on the website, which, you know, that's, uh, you know, it's my call because I know a lot of people that just want to jump to what they want to know what they don't know and they don't want to wait. So there we go. Um, David from Kansas, <laughs> he said that in this future po- apocalyptic society where modern currency, you know, is it has no value or meaning, well, it'll all be all about DVDs. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> because it seems like in my mind you want things of utility, right? Uh-huh. Like, like a like you, food. Like food, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or like stuff that if you're going on like naked and afraid, the stuff you bring, you right. know, you need, a pickaxe, DVDs, you need a pot. Yeah. 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 A, a lighter, like Flint or a knife or something, yeah. you know, that's kind of what I was thinking. He's just thinking about DVD. Maybe people in this post-apocalyptic dystopia, like the internet's gone offline and there's really bored. And so, <laughs> yeah. um, so physical entertainment is the key. Exactly. We got to, it's, it's, we got to, you know, we got to fill our time with something. Right. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> and this is a, a world that I can't say I'd want to live in, but because the most valuable DVDs are ones that star Steven, Steven Seagal, uh, which are 
coming at a hundred dollars, followed by Stallone, Jody Foster, Sharon Stone, and Nicholas Gage. He's got a whole value system that our currency is replaced with DVDs starring those <laughs> actors without any explanation, which is my favorite part of this, David. I, I glad you didn't break down why we value some more than the other. I just <laughs> I just wanna I want a taste of that world one day. You know what's funny about that? When you posed the question, the first thing I thought of was DVDs because the <laughs> only thing I even like the only thing that popped into my mind was like, what, what would you need for like a barter or whatever? My brother, I think you know this, my brother sailed around the world a couple years ago. Yeah. And you don't you don't have like great Wi-Fi on your little sailboat in the middle of the ocean, right? Um, and so DVDs are a major, like if you have DVDs and you come into a harbor anywhere in the world and you want to meet your neighbors and you want them to like be nice to you, you share and trade DVDs with them. No. That's like the wow. thing makes that sense. makes you the cool kid in the remote marina. It's all. It's like when you go to Disney, you can like swap pins with people. You know, like you have like little. Apparently, this is a thing that kids do or something. They collect pins, and you can walk up to other people and like swap pins huh. to make friends and like meet people from around the world or whatever. I would never do that, but uh-huh. but DVDs, huh? That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, yeah. I I just like the fact that at the high seas. The, the ultimate currency is like uh, Jack Frost starring Michael Keaton. Like, oh, I right, haven't right. seen this in a while. You know, I remember. I kind of liked it. <laughs> comes, dad, dead dad comes back as a snowman. Well, check it out. Helps <laughs> 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 get vengeance on bullies. That's the actual plot, by the way. I did a deep dive. I did a deep dive on that film a few years ago. I do take. I think I do take issue with the notion that Nicholas Cage DVD ten Nicholas Cage DVDs would equal one penny because there's some good Nicholas Cage DVDs in the world, and he gets a bad rap just for being a, a, a lunatic. There are two. There are two good Nicholas Cage: Raising Arizona and yeah. um, Lord of War. You think I? Okay, I haven't seen that the one. Family That's Man. Pretty good. You, oh, you like the Family Man? Yeah, okay, I can see that. Family I'm Man. Crazy about the family Adaptation. Man. Adaptation. All right, three. So he's three for fifty. That's failing <laughs> grade in any no. school. I'm sorry. Yeah, I guess if we're talking pure quantity, then I could see how that would lower the market value over time. <laughs> but I feel like this is a knock on his quality. All right. Well, I, I think if the ratio to Adam Sandler movies per good movie is like eight to one, Nicolas Cage is like 25 to one because he's made like 300 films. Yeah. Yeah. It's called the Nicolas Cage rule. <laughs> yeah. The Nicolas Cage rule. Chad took it in a, in a direction which <laughs> seems a little counterintuitive. I'm just going to have to trust him on, with, on this one. He said he's cashing out his 401k and, and has invested into a complete set of alpaca trading cards. So an item where the alpacas lose all of their utility and are just memorialized in card form that he plans to keep in mint condition. Again, I want to live in that future. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, last week's episode had the full spectrum of the relevant experience. It was, you know, thoughtful, hard-hitting, you know, current issue type, you know, uh, talk from a faith perspective and Jesse spending about 35 minutes talking about (laughs) his alpaca farm in his backyard going bad. Like, it, uh... I had to get some things off my chest. Some, Some things have transpired that I'm not proud of. And, uh... Uh, you know, sometimes you got to air it out. Feels good. I, I, it's good I, for the soul. I, you know, it's the norm for this show, but I was acutely aware of it because, you know, so many people were talking about the, the, the conversation yeah. about race and like, we're retweeting it. Like everybody needs to listen to this. And I was aware of all these first time listeners wading through the alpaca talk to mm. get to the, to get to the content that they were uh, looking for. So, yeah, Thanks, Jesse. Well, I mean, I don't. Are you looking for an apology? <laughs> 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 All right. Well, that'll do it for last week's feedback. Go check it out or chime in on the episode page. It's time for this week's 
editorial question of the week. Hey. Okay, well, earlier in the show, we got talking about fall. Uh, Shauna's just love for fall. I'm saying that very ironically, like Tina Fey was doing with the sheet cake. Shauna doesn't like fall. And, uh, and, and Jesse doesn't like that certain foods are relegated to certain seasons. He thinks that it yeah. should be, you know, year long. No, yeah, no seasonal distinctions. So we want to know from you what, you know, what seasonal foods you have strong feelings about uh, and maybe why. Maybe there's an actual reason or the thing that happened that gave you those strong feelings about that seasonal food. Uh, you guys can hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast or you can send your or post your replies on the podcast episode page at RelevantMagazine.com. And I take I take it these positive these feelings can be positive or negative. Just no, primarily feelings. negative. We're just thinking. Well, maybe positive. Uh, like if you, re- but I mean that's not good storytelling. Oh, I love the cinnamon brooms every year. They, you know, I mean like okay, delicious, delicious. But we get it. <laughs> I also feel like I I want as quickly as possible. I do want either a bumper sticker or a T shirt with Jesse's quote. And tell me if I'm getting this right, Jesse. I want to live in a world where I can eat a candy cane on the beach and not have people look at me like a psycho. That's true. <laughs> It's true because I can't tell you how many times it's happened. Like who's a sociopath? You know, the problem is, I I, a lot of times I replace like my beach stuff for just a bunch of stockings that are stuffed with candy canes. Just because that's general, like you'd be surprised if you buy candy canes in large quantity. A lot of times they just throw in a stocking for you. So I'm not not hauling a cooler down there. I've already got a stocking full of candy canes. I don't know why people think that's so weird. You know, instead of an umbrella, you just happen to have like a fake evergreen tree. Whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. He sets up a whole little Christmas experience, you know. <laughs> exactly, because it's a human contract. You know what restaurant stresses me out? Seasons 52, that restaurant where they change the menu 52 <laughs> times in the year. It's insane. They've lost their mind. You guys, and I will say, I, I appreciate the idea of it. I have, every time I've been there, I leave and I am starving. <laughs> That's true. Like I, it shows me something about my normal portions. When they bring me my plate, I'm like, oh, you're kidding. Is that, this is what human people are supposed to eat for dinner. This We're not a- even close. <laughs> Every time I leave a tapas place where, you know, I look at my bill and I'm like, I spent $75 for a slider um, <laughs> and two meatballs, essentially. Every time I leave a tapas place, I, I think, where's the closest Wendy's? Because I, I like, it's like that, that, was, that was a good way to tease my appetite and let my stomach and body know that food is coming, right. you know? But, you know, these single bite meatballs I'm with you, Shauna. I I go straight to Wendy's from there. Aaron and I have a deal, actually. Like, he knows. Like, if we have a group of friends who are going out for tapas, we are only going if we can go to Taco Bell on the way home. Because he's the exact same way. He's like, sure, sure, I'll sit at a table of 87 people. And I'll get a piquillo pepper bite and then a tiny bite of ahi. And then seven hours later, we'll pay $100. And then we go to Taco Bell for a real meal. (laughs) Exactly. The prices are preposterous for what you're getting. I mean, and I love it. That's like my favorite food, like little bites of cheese and meat for a really long time and lots of drinks. That's like my jam. He will. He's not having it. We have to go straight to Taco Bell. There's one by me that has like a novelty item on the menu called $1 chicken. And I look at the prices of everything else and I'm like, okay, just give me the $1 chicken, whatever it is. It's just, maybe it's like a chicken wing. That's not a bad price for a chicken wing. And it's a boiled, they bring you a boiled egg. And so last 
last time I went, I'm like, you know what? Give me six one dollar chickens because I'm not I'm not getting ripped off by anything else in this restaurant. I'll be the weirdo sitting here eating six boiled eggs while everyone's having these gourmet meals. But I'm not leaving hungry, and I'm getting some protein, and it's going to cost me six bucks. So bring it. <laughs> the weirdo with the six eggs and the candy canes. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm tired of being looked at weird. I don't know why. I, I don't know why people are giving me weird looks everywhere I go. All right, well, hit us up uh, with your uh, strong feelings about seasonal food, whatever foods you have, you know, have strong feelings about, and tell us your stories. Many thanks to Samaritan Ministries. Go find out more about their awesome organization at SamaritanMinistries.org. And remember, uh, you can go to Squarespace.com and sign up for your free trial today, and then enter offer code RELEVANT to get 10% off your first purchase at Squarespace. Thanks also to our guests for joining us. Charlie Cox's new show, The Defenders, is streaming now on Netflix. And Sandra McCracken's new album, Steadfast Live, drops today. Go check it out. Shauna, thank you so much for doing this. It is so fun catching up with you. Congratulations on the Oprah thing. Thank you. It's so good to talk to you guys. I missed you. Yeah, you too. I have to ask, what like tease us. What's coming around the corner? Are, uh, tours, uh, projects this fall? What's coming up? Okay, here's the crazy thing. Absolutely nothing. I'm going to write a new book. And so it's going to be a really like quiet, close to home year for me. And I'm so excited about it. And I don't even have a contract. I don't have a title. I don't have like I am starting fresh right now. And I'm really excited about it. It's been a long time since I've had that much kind of space and like runway in my life. It feels really good. That's can I can I it sounds know, terrifying actually that sounds terrifying aren't you, I mean you're like a planner I mean you have this coming and this coming and this coming and all of a sudden it's like blank slate the horizon is is wow that's sounds terrifying it's bonkers it, it really is I've had a, a plan and a tour schedule and a book contract and a deadline for 11 years I've oh. always had a what's next and yeah. I don't right now and it actually I really needed this it feels really good that's awesome. Well, Shauna, if you're looking to just, you know, for some ideas, I know sometimes, you know, getting the, just getting the ball rolling. I got this thing about a, uh, zombie pilgrim, uh, what? plot <laughs> that, uh, I'll send you a Wikipedia entry for That'd be great. That I'd love to hear on. more about you that. You can kind of flush out the details, but I'll hit the major points. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like gold. Um, on that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. Chandler Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Tyler Huckabee. Shauna Nequist. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from The Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. I don't want to be look like a psycho if I'm eating a candy cane at the beach.